0: Well, good morning. good morning. Students, you know this by now. Good morning. good morning. All right. See, there we go. I like that. I like that. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited to be able to bring God's word to you. Um, it's, a, it's not something that I take lightly, uh, and so I'm excited to be able to present what I feel like God has called for us to kind of live out as a church. Um, as kind of noted earlier, my name's Cody. Uh, my wife and I and our son, Judah, we live in Pearland, Texas, which is kind of right there by Houston, Texas, I serve on staff at Clear Creek Community Church, where I serve as a student pastor for our West Campus. Uh, and I love student ministry. Uh, I've been, like you said, for the last twelve years now. I know I'm thirty. I know Merrick's thirty-one. Maybe he's just jealous of how good I still look at thirty. I don't know where that, I don't know where that came from, uh, but. Uh, No, I've been doing student ministry for the last 12 years now. I came to faith as a teenager at 16 because of the way that others were living their faith out as teenagers. And I said, I want to be a part of what they're doing. So I gave my life to Christ at 16 uh, and was called to ministry at 16 as well during that time of my life. And then at 18, I started interning at churches uh, within student ministry and have been a student pastor uh, in some different uh, in some different places, in different churches. Um, I was like two hours from you guys a couple of years ago. I lived in Nashville where I served as a high school pastor a little bit, but God kind of brought us back home to the Houston area where my kid gets to hang out with his nephews and nieces and his grandparents and his aunt and uncles, and so we count that as a blessing, and we love we love our church, we love our community, and we just love what God is doing through that. So our goal as our church at Clear Creek Community Church is really just uh, we want to infiltrate what we call the 4B area and have everybody within that area within one degree of separation from the gospel. So we want our people to live and feel equipped and empowered to live on mission in the context that God has placed them. And so I get to do that through student ministry that, man, God wants to use you in your homes, in the hallways of your schools, on your baseball field, in the orchestra, whatever you might be a part of. God wants to use you in that context to reach people with the gospel. And so, man, I love this generation. I love the multiple, I guess, generations that I've gotten to work with now. It feels weird that I can say that. Um, But I love this generation of students. I believe in them. I believe in the calling that God has placed on their life. I believe in that once they live into the mission that God has placed on their life, man, the world would look vastly different. And so something that we do that I pray for often with uh, with my team and with my volunteers. Something that we are praying for often is just revival, specifically at our church, specifically with our students, uh, but really just for God to bring revival amongst that generation of students in the 4B area because we just want to see the gospel infiltrate that entire area and ultimately, if like I said, to the ends of the earth. And so, uh, man, I would encourage you, Westside Baptist, to pray For this generation of students that you see right here kind of before you and those that aren't even here that have yet to come to faith in Christ, man, pray for revival. Pray that God would raise up a generation of people and of students who simply just love him, love his word, love his gospel, want to see their friends and their families and their peers come to faith in Christ. And I believe one of the catalysts that makes that happen is through the prayer of God's people. Right? God listens to our prayers, he hears our prayers, and he acts upon those things. So commit to praying for this generation because I believe not only are they the future church, I believe they are the future church, but I also believe they're the church here and now. I believe that they are an integral part to the body of Christ, and God has plans for them, and the church needs them. Not ten years from now, the church needs them now to live into what God has called them to do. And so, man, commit to praying for these students, right? Commit to do that as a church. Um, Man, we've had a great weekend. I'm so appreciative to be able to kind of come in here and speak with you guys this weekend. I think we've had a great time. I enjoyed smacking some volleyballs on you as we got to do that, throw dodgeballs at you. That's probably the highlight of the weekend Um, for me personally. No, Uh, man, we've had opportunities to see life change as students have walked from death to life, that they've now come to faith and Jesus, we've seen students that had some struggles with identity or ra- like rather apathy towards their faith in Christ that are just kind of really wrestling with this. And man, it's been so good just kind of have this firsthand account of just man, God is at work here in these students. And um, y'all've got a great team leading you, okay? Braden, I know we just kind of met. This week, he was over here in the first service, Brayden. Uh, and Emily, man, they're doing a great job with your students. He loves them. He makes them feel known. He makes them feel seen. And he's doing a great job. And he's doing a great job for you as parents to come alongside you as a resource and a tool for you to help shape a gospel-centered home. And so, man, keep Braden as long as you can. Students, don't run him off. Don't fork his yard as much as you would probably want to, okay? Like, just don't do that. Um, Merrick, I can't say the same for him. He's a kind of shady guy. Um, No, Merrick, uh, we've known each other. I can say this because we've known each other for like seven years now. Um, I consider him just a great friend of mine. Um, I used to bring Merrick in to do weekends like this for my students, and finally he brought me in years later. I was like, I thought we knew each other better than that, but it's whatever. Um, No, but you have got a great pastor in Merrick, he's a fantastic leader. He loves the gospel. He's gospel-centered. He loves his family and leads them well. Therefore, you know he's going to lead this church in a healthy way. He cares for you. He cares about the city of Murray. and He just wants to see the gospel infiltrate here. And so, man, submit to his leadership and the vision that God has given him because it's not just some vision that he's making up. Man, this is from Scripture. He's following the commandments of Scripture. So you've got a good one in Merrick. So, man, y'all are, y'all are primed and ready to roll, right? So, um... This weekend, we've been looking kind of like at this idea of Ignite, but really we've kind of focused it to be like, what if you were committed to be all in? For Jesus, Like, what would that actually look like in your life if you said, hey, I'm going to be all in for this person of Jesus and the life that he has for me? And so we talked about that on Friday night, and then Saturday we kind of talked through, well, if we're going to commit to be all in, then we know that the enemy would hate to see that because we know that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy all the things that God wants to do. So what are those hindrances that are going to get in the way of that? So we talked about identity. Placing our identity in things that really don't matter, allowing these things to shape who we are and how we think about ourselves. And, man, our identity, if we're going to be people about the gospel, has to be hidden in the gospel, has to be in Jesus. And then we also talked about apathy, this idea of having, like, no enthusiasm or a concern for Jesus. And listen, if you don't have a concern for Jesus yet, call yourself a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you're looking at him right, right? He doesn't get boring. And so we talked about, man, what does it look like to defeat apathy in our lives if we're going to commit to being all in on this gospel movement? And so we kind of want to continue that theme. And so the idea that we're going to talk about this morning is like, what would it look like for God to ignite a gospel movement through Westside Baptist in the city of Murray, Kentucky, and ultimately to. The ends of the earth. And when I mean ignite a gospel movement, I'm talking about like a revival of people who are far from God coming near to God to come to faith in Him and making holistic disciples who are in on the mission. That's the kind of revival that I'm talking about. Not just these, like, hey, we had a salvation and that was good. Like, I'm talking about people coming to faith in Him, giving over this old life and coming to freedom in Jesus. Like, what would that look like for? Westside Baptist to be a part of that. What would it look like for God to ignite that gospel movement? So, I grew up in Deer Park, Texas. Uh, it's like 20 minutes southeast of Houston. So, like I said, I've been around kind of the Houston area my whole life. I was not involved in the life of a church until I was 15. Uh, uh, eventually, we landed up in Deer Park First Baptist Church uh, during my high school years. But I can remember as an elementary kid, going to pick up my sister, kind of from junior high, and the junior high at Deer Park was literally right across the street from Deer Park First Baptist Church, and and I have no recollection, like, uh, of, like, I had no idea what church was. The only idea was my grandparents were Catholic, and so we would go to Uh, I would go to like mass with them sometimes. And the way that the father did this, I thought he was Sammy Sosa because he looked like Sammy Sosa. I was like, that's cool. He plays baseball, right? Like, I had no idea. I was completely oblivious to church life. I had no idea what the difference between a Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you want to call them. I had no idea the difference between any of those. But I remember sitting in the car waiting for my sister to get out of junior high and looking at Deer Park First Baptist. And like, in my mind at that time, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, Deer Park First Baptist. This must be the first, literally the first Baptist church in the entire world. I was like, that's cool. Like, Deer Park holds that title. I had no idea, right, that this was the first Baptist church ever in the entire world. I was so wrong, right? I had no idea what it was. But in reality, um, First Baptist Church became First Baptist Church because at some point in Deer Park, there became a second Baptist church. Right It was Deer Park Baptist Church when it was inaugurated, and everything was was happening, but at some point there became a Second Baptist Church in Deer Park, and why there became a second Baptist Church because at some point there became a split and tension and divisiveness in the body of that church. And so you had people that, like, "Hey, I'm not going to worship here any longer. I'm not going to submit to this leadership. We're going to take our own thing, and we're going to do it over here, so you run your lane, we'll run our lane, and we'll just now be the Second Baptist Church. And Deer Park, there had to be some kind of disagreement for that stuff to happen. And this is common in a lot of cities across this country, across the globe, and stuff like that. Like, in Philadelphia, there is a 10th Presbyterian church. Like, what had to happen nine times in order for you to get to a 10th Presbyterian? I think in California, there's like a 24th Church of Christ Scientists, And one, you're probably gospel and all things it's just weird. So there's no wonder there's a lot of different divisiveness in there. But, man, disunity... And divisiveness, it's not an uncommon narrative that we're used to hearing and seeing, right? Especially the last couple of years, divisiveness and disunity is something that's just been kind of normal for us now, right? Like, think about, like, the past year alone. Think about, like, all the people and coworkers and their friends and families and neighbors that have been split due to, because, due to the disunity of all sorts of things, right? Like man, are you Trump, are you Biden, are you Republican, are you Democrat, Um, are you Black Lives Matter, are you All Lives Matter, are you a masker, are you not a masker, are you Murray State, are you Kentucky, are you even Louisville, I don't know even if you're in that, right, like divisiveness and disunity has been palpable, and I think people forgot that everybody under the umbrella of those things has a room for the table of Jesus, right, maybe not Louisville, I have no idea, but There's room for those things. I think we've forgotten that, and I'm convinced that this has even leaked into a spirit of disunity in the church. And I believe that it will be difficult to ignite any kind of gospel movement if there is not a church that is unified. It will be difficult for a gospel movement to happen if the church itself is not unified. And so for the first century church this New Testament church that was birthed out of this movement of Jesus that was directed by the apostles. Unity was a huge deal in order for the gospel to advance to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And ultimately, this is what God wants to see take place, right? Unity was something that they focused on heavily. And I think we would be remiss as this 21st century church of God's people if we ourselves did not listen to the wisdom of Jesus and the apostles in this call to be unified. So a couple texts that we're going to run through really quickly just kind of hit, right? 1 Corinthians 1.10. We're talking about the church of Corinth, right? Like if, if Las Vegas had a church, this is the place I was at. Lots of divisiveness, lots of different things going on. And Paul says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 1 Peter 3.8. Peter writes this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Ephesians 4.3. Paul writes this again. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. John 17.21. This is actually Jesus talking uh, and he's talking about this prayer for his people. And he says that they all may be one. That those who follow me, that they all may be one, just as you, the Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. we that he had to tie in unity for people to come into faith in Jesus, right? And finally, the text that we're going to look at, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul writes this again. If there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. That's a lot of scriptures that talk about unity. And I could have spent 10 more minutes unpacking scriptures from the New Testament that specifically dealt with unity. Right? Like, if if it was important for Jesus, if it was important for Paul, if it was important for Peter, then We should probably lean in and pay attention to it. Unity is a big deal in the life of the church, and it was a high priority for the disciples and the apostles, and it was a high priority to see the gospel advance in that day and time. And so when the church of Jesus was formed, right, this was a relatively new idea that was taking place in the world, right? This was something that the world really had not seen yet of this such diverse community coming together, right? Think about it. For a second. God's people in the Old Testament, these Israelites, these Hebrews, birthed from Abraham and sent out and scattered, right? They were strictly from this Jewish na- nation, right? But when God called Abraham, he said, You will be blessed to be a blessing, meaning that this nation isn't just supposed to turn inward, it's supposed to turn outward, that they would be a city on a hill, that they would be inclusive, and that God's kingdom would grow. Through that, But at some point, right? they turned inward, they rejected other nations, they set themselves apart from them, they did not allow them to come and take residence up with them, and they, they, they grew apart from the ideology and became this closed group of people. And so now you have these, these different pockets of different religions and Jewish and Muslim and all these other things that are taking place and people are just kind of in their own cliques and things like that. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, as a Jewish man who claims to be the Messiah, who claims to be the Christ, he begins to go after his own people. right? Jesus begins to go after his Jewish people. But at some point, he began to focus on the Gentiles as well. Those who by birthright were not Jewish, those who had different ethnicities and different nations and different cultures and different ways of viewing things, What Jesus was doing, he was expanding the circle of who was going to get to be a part of the people of God. He was saying, listen, the church that I am setting up is not going to be comprised of just one nation. It's not going to be comprised of just one ethnicity or just the Jewish people. It's going to be a people from every nation with all tongues and tribes for all, from all over the world for the purpose that God would be glorified through them and that people would live on mission. He was mixing ethnicities and cultures and languages and political ideologies and the list goes on and on to create a body called the church. And even though they would be unified in their diversity the church that jesus has established on this earth yes we have our local churches but it is a global church it's the most diverse group of people the world has ever seen yet even in the midst of their diversity there can be unified and if a gospel will ever if a gospel movement will ever be ignited then the church has to be unified so the question that we kind of need to wrestle with this morning, or we need to think about, is what do we unify ourselves under? Or as Paul says, how do we begin to have the same mind? How do we begin to have the same love and be in full accord with one another? So, right, like the reality, the easy Sunday school answer might be, well, well, we we unify under the lordship of Jesus and His Holy Spirit. Like absolutely, hundred percent, we 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 have that bond through. The blood of Jesus, but I think there's a little bit more that we actually need to unpack a little bit. So, I'm going to kind of give you four reasons this morning why most people will enter into the doors of your church. And if you're a committed member here, why you're probably sticking around to this church, right? Um, And I would say these four reasons get people in, but I will also say that these four reasons cause the most disunity within the body of the church as well. And so, the four reasons are this, right? People will come and get involved in your church because of the place, the personality, the programs, and the people. All right? The place, the personality, the programs, and the people. So let's kind of break those down each just a little bit, right? So think about the place. Some people are emotionally tied to the church's physical structure or location, Right. I was reading this morning, kind of come in, I saw the sign that this church was established in 1981. Was anyone here in 1981 when this church was established? Anyone still around? Okay, so there's a couple people here, right? Like you got to be a part of seeing this church erected. You got to be a part of maybe saying, you know, what kind of paint might be on the wall or what kind of carpet that we that you might have. You got to be a part of like what location are we going to put the put the church in at, right, like, you got to be a part of all of those things, that's an amazing thing to be a part of, and you get attached to that church, the campus I'm a part of right now, uh, we're actually currently building a campus, we've been, uh, we, we are a church plant, um, through Cook Creek Community Church, and so uh, we have been meeting in schools for the last twelve years, and, and for the last ten years we've been in Friendswood Junior High. Uh, but we're actually erecting a campus right now; like the beams are up and everything like that, concrete support. It's really exciting to kind of be a part of. Um, and so, like, there was a great deal that went into, like, hey, where are we gonna where are we gonna build this church? Right. So when West Campus was was established, we recognized that. On, on I-45, the, the highway of I-45, you had this east side of League City that people were heavily involved with, our Cloak Creek Community Church. But this west side, people weren't often coming over because of that barrier at I-45. And so we're like, well, if we want to be a church that infiltrates this 4B area, then we need to be where the people are at. So we created the west campus on the west side of 45 so people could get involved with church. And now we have people from Friendswood and League City and all these places that are connecting to this church and so for us we're like man we want to be in this area so we are now building a campus on 528 and it's right there where 30,000 cars pass a day and it's right kind of in the mac- like in the center of three high schools that we're trying to to be a part of and so it was important for us like hey what is our church going to look like what's the location going to be cuz people get attached to the location, or they will even come to the church because of the location. Man, it was easy for me to come here because it wasn't that far from my home. People get attached to those things. I remember I was attached to my first Baptist church at Deer Park, even though it wasn't the first First Baptist, right? Um, I, I mean, I remember the ceilings vividly and what kind of ceilings there were, and I would even write about them in my English papers. Like, I was attached to the place. People get attached to places. They also get attached to personalities, Right? Some people are deeply and emotionally connected to a spiritual leader or pastor within their church, right? Maybe that pastor has a great deal of influence within their community. Maybe he's a gifted speaker and teacher of God's word and he's magnetic and he kind of has this sense of just, man, you like to be around them or he just cares a great deal and shepherds you guys really, really well, right? Maybe you get attached to that when I first stepped into the foot of a church as a, as a 16, 15-year-old kid, I got deeply connected to the personality of my student pastor, right? Like a lot of who I am today and how I do ministry was because of my student pastor, and he made me feel seen. He made me feel loved. He made me feel important and valued, right? And so I attached to him, Part of the reason why I went to Deer Park First Baptist and part of the reason why I stayed at Deer Park First Baptist till I graduated was because of my student pastor. I got deeply connected to the personalities of the church. Also think of our programs. Right, People are attached to the programs of the church. And when I mean programs, I mean like the activities and things that the church does kind of on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis as ongoing things, right? People get attached to maybe... A Tuesday women's Bible study or a VBS or a D-Now weekend or a men's event or a certain time of worship or a service or a trip that you guys go on, right? People get attached to those things deeply. Like I was deeply attached to the VBS at Dear Park First Baptist. Like I wanted to help out and be a part of it. And like I loved that program. I loved our Wednesday night student program that I was a part of. People get attached to programs, right? Or the last thing, people get attached to people. People get connected to the people within their church. Right? People get attached to people who create an atmosphere where they feel welcomed and they feel valued and they feel accepted and they know your name. Like that feels good when someone knows your name. You meet them and they're able to say what your name is the next time you get to come and be in their presence. Like that feels good. Or maybe they get attached to the relationships that they form with, uh, <clears throat> with people in their small groups. Or there's Sunday school classes or those that you get to serve alongside. Like there's something deeply bonding about making food for, for a denial event with you and your buddies as you serve them. there's things that bond you over that, right? Um, or simply those who sit on the same row as you. And you sit e- each week on the same row and you're like, hey, we're row buddies, right? Like you, you get deeply attached to those people. It becomes a familiar presence for us. And we appreciate that feeling of familiarity. But what would happen in your life if those things began to change in the life of a church? And I'm convinced that when those four P's, the people, places, programs, personalities, when those things change in the life of the church, oftentimes disunity will follow. Right, like I think about uh, like our places. There's a story that I heard of a church church in Louisiana, who was going to be having a meeting to discuss what new tiles they wanted in their worship center, right? Um, and it was honestly, it was a 50-50 split. A group wanted, one group wanted red tiles, and another group wanted green tiles. I don't know what the rest of their church looked like, okay? Um, but one group wanted red tiles, and one group wanted green tiles, and they couldn't come to any kind of, like, mediation, and so they brought in a mediator to help them. And uh, what the mediator said to do like hey let's just compromise. And so half of the church's tiles, one is red and one is green. And so they thought that was going to solve the problem within the church, right? This place that they they felt deeply about. Well, you know, once those tiles were installed, here's what happened. The people that wanted the red tiles now sat on the red side underneath the red tiles and the people that wanted the green tiles now sat on the green tiles underneath the green tiles, and it's like a weird, awkward junior high dance when no one knows how to approach each other anymore because now there's just this divisiveness in the life of the church, right? People get attached to those places. I remember when I served at 1st Baptist Hendersonville down the road in, in Tennessee, um, we had a church library, and we had a church of about 3,500 people on a Sunday morning. I had 200-plus high school students in my high school ministry. We had a fairly large college ministry and a good young adults ministry. Um, and But there wasn't really any place that we had ownership within the life of the church. Like, there wasn't a place that we could call ours that students could be a part of and kind of hang out and, and worship in and stuff like that. So we were meeting in, like, kind of just different rooms and popping up in different places. And so, you know, me, the college pastor, the young adults pastor, like, man, we'd love to be able to use the space of the library because the reality was that library was only being used by one person or one family throughout the entire week. It wasn't being too use. So we wanted to create that as a space like, man, where students had some ownership, that they felt like they had a place where they belonged, that they could bring their friend to and had a nice environment. So we brought that up many times in a lot of different staff meetings, and it was always turned down because they didn't want to... They didn't want to see that happen. They wanted to hang on to that library. And I'm not here to say that libraries are bad by any means at all, but there was, a, there was an opportunity for us to have a place and for us to reach students. But people were so attached to that. I think about personalities. I've seen church splits I've seen, I've heard stories of them just simply because a good pastor retired or moved on to a different church and had a new calling and people said, well, if he's not going to be my pastor, then I'm not staying here, right? And now they're having to bring in this new pastor and go through all these committees and, you know, part of the church likes him, part of the other church doesn't. So now you have these, these splits that are coming in because of that, like someone new is going to fill that role, right? Like these things happen to us i think of i think that last week your minister of music just retired so that means you're going to go through a new process of having someone else that's going to come and lead ministry and that might cause division what would happen if programs were changed because there was an opportunity that had become available to reach more people and get more people involved in the life of the church right like what would happen if that changed what if, right, when I started at Lake Jackson, we had a group of women who had a Tuesday women's, like, knitting club, and they played dominoes and things like that. And what if I would have gone to them in the summer, like, hey, we, we need to use this space that you're at, and they use the gym. I was like, we need to use this space in the summer because we see that students have a need to kind of congregate and meet somewhere, and we have an opportunity to reach some students. I would have been killed if I would have told them, like, hey, would you mind just meeting in a different room? You can do the same exact thing that you're doing different. I would have maybe been killed, right? Because they were so attached to their program and honestly, they were attached to their place, All right, what if, what if you had to move a day or the time of which you were doing some certain program or your entire VBS program changed because you wanted to, to reach other people? People get seriously connected to those programs and people are connected to people, which isn't bad either, right? But it can cause division. When I lived in Tennessee, we had a group of junior high school girls that were like their sunday school class had reached about like 30 girls um and it becomes so big that it had become intimidating for a new girl to get plugged in right like imagine imagine you as a new person walking into a place where everybody knows everybody but you don't know them and so there's this conversation that are happening they're laughing and you kind of try to walk in to fit in that can be awkward that can be intimidating right so we were like, well, what's, what do we need to do? Well, we need to multiply the group to make them smaller so it seems less intimidating, and now we need to get more girls plugged in that way, right? So it was all like, we just want to get, we want to see more people plugged in to this group. So I sat down with all these 11th grade girls. I'd already talked to their leaders who were on board. I sat them down on a Sunday morning, and you would have thought that I had taken their cell phones from it and said, you don't get any more internet access for the rest of your life because we wanted to multiply their group, right? Like, they were terrified because they loved their group so much, which isn't, which isn't bad, but it now become a closed-off group that other people couldn't get connected to, right? People get connected to people, right? And the reality of all of these four things that we just discussed, the people, the personalities, the programs, and the places, here's the reality of this. Those are always constantly changing, there may be a day when your best friend that you've gotten to serve in with church for the last 10 or 20 years moves to a different city or changes the time that they go to worship service. There might be a reality that you're, you're going to have a pastor and another pastor is going to come in and take the helm and lead things, right? Like that's true for y'all. Your, your music minister just retired. Merrick's been here a year. braden has been here a year. There was people there that were before him. Those things constantly change. Your programs might change, right? You, you might change the time or the meeting place or you might change something completely altogether or you might scrap a program that you've had in the life of the church for so long and now something else needs to come here so more people can get involved and more people can be reached because it's a better virgin, version of those things. Or there might be a time where the church building is going to get renovated because you need to create more space, or you need to create more classes, or you need to do whatever it might be. It just might simply need a new renovation to take place. Maybe you need new tiles in the building, right? But these things are always, always changing, and when they begin to change, there becomes disunity, right? So there has to be something better that we, as the people of God, begin to rally ourselves around that keep us unified. There has to be something better than people, places, programs, and personalities that will unify us. And that's where the Great Commission comes in. Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Many of you are probably familiar with it, but here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore... Or, as it would say, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission of the church. This is our call. This is the global church's marching orders. This is our purpose. We need to be a people of God who rallies and unifies ourselves around our purpose more than the other things. This is what we rally around. This is what we actually rally around. People, places, programs, personalities, they're all good. I'm not saying they're bad, but they're not the main thing in the end scheme of things. Because they're always changing. And I think for too long the church has made those what is most important. And we've neglected our purpose and the mission. Because all those things inevitably change, but our purpose never changes. The Great Commission, the call to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, that doesn't change. Our calling to share our faith is a constant in the kingdom of God. Not a people, not a place, not a program, not a personality, but a purpose is the constant in the kingdom of God. And we shouldn't allow any of those things to be barriers for anyone coming to faith in Jesus or growing in their sanctification or likeness of Jesus. Our divisions that are be caused by those things, listen, are not worth the eternity of someone made in the image of God. When it boils down to it, those things are not worth the eternity of someone made in the image of God who Jesus loves deeply. Jesus loves them much more than your people, your place, your personality, your program. That's just the reality of it. The only barrier to the gospel should only be the gospel itself. Only barrier to the gospel should be the gospel itself, so, self. And when I mean by barrier, I mean the, the, the reality of the truth of the gospel. When we begin to understand that, hey, I'm sinful, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm far off from God, I can't do anything to have God's approval or love for me, and the fact that God has died for me, right? When we begin to have that, that wickedness exposed within us, something kind of bats up, right? That's the barrier to the gospel. And I believe when people come to faith in Jesus, it really is a miracle when they said, hey, Man, I am sinful. I am messed up. right? That should be the only barrier to the gospel. So we, as a church, locally and globally, must tear down walls of division and reclaim and reorient ourselves around the purpose that Jesus has given the church to fulfill. We must be on mission. Everybody must be a missionary. And here's what a missionary does. Missionaries... Remove barriers. Missionaries remove barriers while religious people just want to protect their preferences. We need to remove barriers. We don't need more religiosity. We need more missionaries who are rallied behind the purpose of the church, who are unified in the mission of seeing people come to faith in Christ and your church, West Side Baptist, is poised and ready to do that. This is the vision that your pastor Merrick is trying to help accomplish and lead you in, right? Your new vision of to know, follow, and serve Jesus is the idea of making disciples. And oftentimes when we think of making disciples, it's just to attain salvations. It's so much more than that. Jesus is concerned about making a holistic disciple a fully devoted follower of him. The church should be concerned about that as well. They should want to see people come to know him intimately. They should see they should want to see people follow him passionately, and they should want to see those serve each other with the rich love that Christ has to know, to follow and to serve. But someone who's on the outside of Christianity won't begin to come to know, follow, or serve Jesus unless there is a unified church who is about that mission. Right? So the world needs a unified church, and more often than not, they don't get to see that. They see divisiveness. They see Christian nationalism. They see disunity. They see all these kinds of things. The world needs to see a church that will remove their personal preferences and begin to start removing barriers so that people might come to know the goodness of God and what the gospel has for them. That that church would begin to die to themselves, that they would take up their cross, and that they would be for the gospel and for people coming to faith. The gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what saves us. The gospel is what unifies us, and the gospel is what gives our purpose. So my encouragement to you, Westside, is live your purpose. Unify and rally around those things. Be on mission in every context that God has placed you. So whether that means you're in your school hallway, whatever sport or extracurricular activity you might be, whether that's in your home, or the hobbies that you partake in, or your workplace with your coworkers, be on mission there. Go and be the church to Murray. Because the reality is, Murray isn't going to come to your church. You might have a few that might come because of a program or a place or a people or whatever, but people begin to get involved when people are seen living in their purpose. So the church can go to them. So be a church that is on mission. That knows Jesus deeply. Loves him intimately. Follows him with all of their allegiance and devotion. And serves those within the church and out of the church. Rally around your purpose. And I think we might see, if God would be so gracious to allow us to see that. A gospel movement ignited here to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. And after I pray, the band's gonna come up and you can just have a time of response. However, you might see fit to do that. I would just think, reflect on that message. You might be the person that's like, man, I haven't been living out my purpose where I've been kind of tied down in the weeds of our people and our places and our programs and our personalities. Like I need to get back to the heart of what I'm called to do. So whatever that looks like for you, Would you respond in obedience to however Jesus is talking to you and stirring in your heart now? God, we love you. We thank you for this morning, Father. We thank you for your word and how you speak to us, God. And we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that um, even as enemies that you still died for us and you saw value and you saw worth in our lives, God. And God, you also call us to be a part of the mission. You don't just call us to kind of sit idly by or do nothing, but God, you call us to be an active partaker in the life of the church. And so, Father, I pray for this church specifically at Westside, Father, that they would be a church with that would knock down the walls of division and they would be unified in order to see a gospel movement take place, God, that they would be unified to see people come to know you. God, there are souls at stake, there are eternities uh, that are at stake, and Father, may this be a church whose mission it is to see them come to know the creator who loves them more than anything else. So Father, we pray that you would just work in this moment and even after, it's in your name we pray. Amen.